Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Still true. Yes, it is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the internet featuring articles on writing and the writing life. Well, it's video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Uh, we got one up right now with um, Kim Hornsby. Ooh, Kim, romantic suspense, she writes. And uh, she's got a little, her book's being made into a movie on um, Hallmark, I believe. And, uh, well, she started writing, I think I said this last week, but it's interesting. She didn't start writing until she was 50 or almost 50. How about that? Yeah. But now she's a best-selling author. So you see, never really too late. And uh, yes, but you see, all genres. Next month, I'm going to be interviewing Sean Wong, the uh, Washington uh, literary author, I think is the best way to describe him. Very different kind of writer, but a writer all the same. Doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I'll talk to anybody about writing. I'd love to do it. So check it out at authormagazine.org. We're also funded by the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Yes, they have. They're still doing it. Ah, the contest has started. We got the Pacific, they got a writing contest every year. I believe that's open already. Yes, it is. And uh, well, you can enter it, couldn't you? Yes, if you've written something, you enter it and uh, you get feedback from, from uh, professional readers. And maybe, maybe, maybe you win it. Stranger things have happened, and uh, a few careers, not a few careers, have been started with that contest. Yes, indeed. I've interviewed some of those authors, and it could be you. So uh, check it out. It's, uh, it's our yearly writers' conference, big con- big contest, excuse me, yearly writing contest. And it's a big one, and, uh, well, we'd love to have you in it. So go check it out. All the genres pretty much are covered. Go check it out at pnwa.org. Yes, indeed. Well, no, it's. December, the publishing world kind of grinds to a halt, kind of, kind of, kind of. No news to report right now. I wish I did have some news, but not yet, not at the moment. Uh, When I do, I'll let you know. And not much going on. I'll be doing some stuff in the fall or in the winter, uh, teaching some classes, going around, giving some talks. But ah, nothing much right now, nothing to report. So let's just get in today's guest. See, speaking of author, now this fellow, Michael B, uh, excuse me, Michael Bianco Splan, he was a uh, he was a guest of mine on the magazine. I shot a video interview with him when he published um, Conscious Leadership. Well, he's got a new book out, so he's on the show with me now. And Michael is a conscious leadership expert, author, inspirational speaker who brings uh, unique and powerful expertise to deliver a differentiated and transformative approach to leaders, organizations, and those seeking a life fully engaged and true to one's passions, passion and purpose. Like I said, he's the author of Conscious Leadership, and he's just got a new book out, Dying to Live, a Tapestry of Reinvention. Michael, welcome to the show. Amen, Brother Bill. It's great to be with you. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much for the invite. Uh, It's It's just a pleasure to be with you, Bill. Well, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. It's great to have you on. Um, Like I said in the... um, Intro, we, we, we met when Conscious Leadership had come out, and we had a wonderful conversation about that. Let's start just a little bit, because I, I, I'm interested in this book. I want to get to it, because it's really about your life and about your worldview. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want people to understand a little bit of what you're doing now, what con- conscious leadership is. How do you define that? Well, yeah, thanks, Bill, as opposed to unconscious leadership, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Well, I, you know, my, my experience, my professional life uh, encompasses over three decades of working in the corporate world uh, across a number of different industries. Uh, so I've had the opportunity over the course of that time to actually develop a, a perspective, a, a point of view when it comes to leadership as opposed to management. Um, and I, I used my corporate work uh, to actually develop the concepts and the principles that I write about in my first book, The Seven Principles That Will Change Your Business and Change Your Life in Conscious Leadership. And what these are are principles that are real common sense principles that are missed by most organizations and particularly uh, quote-unquote leaders. Um, right. It Basically, the, the seven principles is a call for all leaders, ubiquitous across all types of industries, um, to wake up, to turn off the autopilot and step into a level of consciousness and awareness, self-awareness, self-regulation, that allows the leader to actually connect uh, on the human side uh, of the interaction. It seems to, in our, in our virtual and digitally accelerating environment that we live in, we're missing more and more of that human uh, interaction. And so it's a call to leaders to basically wake up uh, and to practice the principles that I've uh, espoused and that I've been using now for many years that I really think are guideposts to, to really changing the face of leadership, at, particularly at a time when, I mean, look at our world right now, Bill. Uh, you know, if there's ever been a need for consciousness and leadership, I would say the time uh, is now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it strikes me as um, kind of leadership driven by, instead of being transactional, uh, mm-hmm. being driven by love, driven by yeah. the most basic human. You know, there was a great book by um, uh, Daniel, Daniel Pink called Drive. And in it, I got a chance to interview him for that. He was an interesting guy. And he basically said, look, the old model of the carrot and the stick, it doesn't work. People mm-hmm. in business, what people want are recognition and they want meaning. Recognition. Mm-hmm. I mean, money is nice, but recognition and meaning, yeah. and that's emotional. That is emotional. Mm-hmm. It is not survivalist, yeah? Because it right. seems like unconscious leadership is driven by survival more than anything else, right? Fear and, and that survival. Translates, and that translates, Bill, into employees enduring as opposed to, to flourishing. Exactly. When, when, you have a, when you have a corporate model or, or a company model that, that operates in this antiquated fashion, it doesn't fulfill, it doesn't fulfill people. It doesn't uh, leave them feeling as if they're actually contributing in a positive manner. And at the end of the day, you've got good people doing good work, just really, uh, really feeling down uh, and not yeah. a part of uh, what it is that, that they, their passions drive them for. And so this is really a kind of, would you describe it as a spiritual view of business and leadership? Would you be willing to attribute that yeah. word to it? Well, yeah. yeah. Dare, I, dare I take the step into this woo-woo world, right? <laughs> Do it. Um, That's there. Yeah, well, because, look, the, the truth is we're human beings. And what are human beings really, what, what moves us in, in terms of the, the human experience? Uh, and, and, and love, compassion, seeking to understand, being, being empathetic. Uh, having a higher level of emotional intelligence. I mean, these are, these are attributes that we, we tend to place in secondary or tertiary positions uh, and bottom line results, shareholder value, right. profit. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. that becomes the commo- commoditization of, of the human potential. 
And, yeah. and that's, that's an antiquated model that in today's world, I mean, think about it generationally. I mean, I'm a baby boomer, so I have right. the opportunity of context. You know, and yeah. the, the newer generations don't want, want a, a carrot and stick model. Uh, they're not interested in that. They're interested in yeah. collaboration. They're interested in, in having meaning and purpose behind the work that they have. So these, yeah. these, are, these are foundational uh, elements that, that leaders today across all types of uh, industry and business need to be paying attention to. Right, right. And so this is a, a, a worldview you've, you've nurtured and you've found yeah. a way to translate that into something, into how to apply it to life, in your case, business and leadership. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're, so you're a teacher, I would say. Yes. I'd put you in that broad category. And I've had a chance to interview a lot of teachers, Gary Zukov. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, um, now their names are all escaped. Oh, Byron Katie, the great Byron yeah. Katie. Mm-hmm. Um, just to name a couple. And one thing I've noticed with, the, with the, this, the life story of the teacher and Dying to Live, A Tapestry of mm-hmm. Reinvention, is part memoir and part sort of self-help, part guidebook. It's a little bit of both. Yes. Um, but yeah. it is your story. It is your life that you're drawing it mm-hmm. from. There is a common mm-hmm. story arc, uh, Michael, and you follow that, which is mm-hmm. there is a moment, there is a death moment where you hit, where the teacher, the spiritual teacher, not all of them, but a great many of them hit a dark mm-hmm. bottom from which yeah. they rise. And it's from those, mm-hmm. those, that moment, that moment that they would never want to go back to, that darkest right. moment, the moment they never, but mm-hmm. it becomes the soil that grows there. And yours mm-hmm. is the same. That's, the, that's your story also, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. The, first of all, I, I wrote Dying to Live as a follow-up to conscious, conscious Leadership because folks who had read the first book said, well, how did you arrive at these principles? And, you know, I, I was reflective on that, and I thought to myself, hmm, it's a good question, and maybe there's, maybe there's more writing attached to that. And then I, yeah. I had done some vignettes years, you know, just snippets of my life story because I, I, I have what the reader may interpret as a fairly adventurous life you know, where I've taken lots of risks uh, and really uh, come out very lucky that I'm alive today, to be honest with you. Yeah. And, and as, yeah. You, as, you were talk- yeah, as you were talking about that, this is Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. Exactly. And we all have, yes. we all have the capacity to, to be uh, the hero that goes into the, do- the dark trek into the dark night of the soul uh, to yeah. be able then to find, have a spiritual crisis and to be able to find our way back. It's the, it's the challenges, it's the crucible moments in one's life that give us the opportunity to step into who we really are and who we will become. Yeah. And, yeah. and so the book is a, is a book that certainly talks about the seven principles and how I arrived at it through, through vignettes of my own life story and some of the adventures attached to that. But it's also very much a story of resilience and reinvention, uh, the tapestry of reinvention. It's about being knocked down repeatedly in, in my personal and my professional life and being able to stand up and go, I'm, I'm bigger than this, I can, I can walk through this, I can maintain myself, and I can grow, grow through the process. It's, the, it's the, those crucible moments that are catalysts for us to actually step into our greatness. And that's yeah. really what the book, that's Dying to Live is really all about. I tried to leave the reader with not just the... Uh, you know, a whole plate of dark chapters of my life, but to actually be able to talk about how I moved through that and how that evolved over time. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I work a lot with um, people who are writing their own stories, and I've written a lot of my own Mm -hmm. stories, and I've had my own dark Mm -hmm. night of the soul. And it seems to me the one thing that these 
the, the dark night of the soul, I believe, especially if it's transformative, is the moment you realize what you were doing, the thing you were trying to do to be happy isn't working. You try it and try it and take it, yeah. whatever that is, whether it's drugs or yeah. alcohol uh-huh. or trying mm-hmm. to be the perfect wife or yeah. the job, whatever. Doesn't, the thing you think mm-hmm. you're supposed to be until it cracks you open and you finally right. have to admit this isn't working. And, and you know, That's right. and just to pause on that for a moment, I, I, I find it so profound because nothing will teach you the value of being yourself than not being yourself. You will never exactly. know exactly than spending 10 or 20 years being someone not slightly different than who yeah. you are. Yeah. I mean, then you really yeah. know it. Then you have the authority. Then you have the experiential authority. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so talk about yours. What, to what, I mean, what was your, describe to our listeners, your personal darkness. We're not going to stay there, but that's where it came out. Where this yeah. Came you know, and I, I guide the reader right from the, the first principle is to be the real you. And I guide the reader from, from, I, I was, I was adopted. I was given up at birth. And, you know, as much as throughout my early adult, my childhood, teen years, young adult, adulthood, you know, I really didn't give much thought to that other than the fact that I knew I was adopted and that, right. you know, it was a special circumstance. But what I, what I found out later in life through my, let's say, my challenges, both personally and professionally, was that I was carrying with me a sense of abandonment and loss, uh, not being good enough and being given up. Um, and I didn't realize that. And so I, you know, subconsciously and unconsciously created a, a tension in my life professionally and personally that kept me from yeah. realizing my full potential. You know, being a person that you wanted me to be as opposed to the right. real Michael, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. being, being, yeah. being the professional that my title was, was telling me that I should be. You know, being the yeah. friend that, that I, was, I was contorting myself into what you as my friend wanted me to be. And so yeah. I lived my life as a chameleon, basically, you know, moving and shaking in the shadow world of, of being a false sense of myself. And it took right. years to uncover that, you know, and right. it was through the chapters of, of you know, uh, drug abuse, alcoholism, failed marriages, you know, death of family members. I mean, all the things that the human beings go through, the trials and tribulations that I was able yeah. to actually uncover and peel back that onion enough to be able to go, oh, Oh, I see that, you know, I'm not the real Michael. I see that I've, you know, been reckless in my risk-taking. I see that I haven't been embracing a concept of love and compassion and understanding in my leadership style because it's not what the corporate policy says. Right. So, <laughs> right. so I'm, living, I'm living my life. I'm living my life through the, through the, you know, the first half of my life in this false construct. Yeah. And, and then being able to recognize that and being able to see it what, for what it is, that's what Dying to Live is really all about. It's about exposing through my own adventures and my own experiences how I arrived at these, uh, these uh, manifestations. Yeah. Yeah, and there is nothing. There is nothing more debilitating than the simple thought, I'm just not good enough as I am. Yeah. That tiny little thought. It's crippling, just, Bill. It, 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 it gums up everything. Because nothing you do, because you can't trust yourself, and all you're going to try and do is imitate someone who's confident, imitate someone who's worthy of love. Right. Oh, it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. I, and it, you know, I, the work I do with people, most of what I'm doing is saying, you're okay. You are mm-hmm. okay, right like you are now. You haven't published anything, or you have published, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You're okay. Just mm-hmm. that alone, yeah. if you can believe mm-hmm. that, just is such a, a, such a burden lifter. And you had to and, do it. And, and we, you, you we need yourself, re- right? I mean, yeah, drugs, we, drugs and alcohol make perfect sense if you're thinking that. 
right? Why wouldn't sure. you do that? And we need reinforcement. This is where this is where collaboration comes in. This is where you know finding your finding the path and finding the circle of, uh, of, of friends, professionally and personally, who support your 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 themes and your ideas. Having a strong level of ethics and integrity in the in the work that you do. You know, all these all these things become uh, very important in terms of how one lives their life. And you don't necessarily arrive at that. Who teaches you that? Like. Right. Like, right. I, what guru do you go to to learn these life lessons? You know, the life yeah. lessons, as you mentioned, these are experiential. And I refuse yeah. to either speak about or write about something that I haven't experienced myself. Because I, I, that would be false in that way. Yeah. And I don't want to yeah. come across as someone who's false. Well, and also, the only thing I know for experience to me has been my only teacher. And even though I'm a mm-hmm. teacher myself, well, sure. Mostly I'm saying try see what happens if you look at things this way. See what experience you have. Mm-hmm. It'll be the experience that actually teaches the people. Absolutely. Not me saying yeah. think about it this way. Because nothing uh-huh. beats it's experience. all experience. Yeah. So one of your principles is to be a peace builder. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Be yeah. a peace builder. Now I thought that's interesting because you come from the corporate world and I've heard a number I'm not in the world of business. I mean, I'm, writing is a business, but it's it's a different kind mm-hmm. of business. It's mm-hmm. not banking, it's not it's not finance. Yeah. It's not a lot of mm-hmm. not you know a lot of things, um, and so I have heard a number of people talk about business, almost like warfare in a way, mm-hmm. you know, it of it's like intense competition, and mm-hmm. warfare, of course, the opposite of peace. So how do mm-hmm. you bring the how do you how do you describe being a peace builder? Because I think peace is all anybody wants. I think we go to war mm-hmm. to be at peace in you know mm-hmm. in a misguided way. How sure. do you talk yeah. to the warrior? business people about the efficacy of peace? Well, the, the second part of be a peace builder is it's an inside job. Uh-huh. So, yes. so finding peace, being a peace builder means finding peace from within and right. being able to quell the fires, the firestorms that burn within us. So, um, yeah, the corporate, the, first of all, corporations and the way in which the, you know, our society is set up, it has a puritanical uh, origin where you know good versus evil, bad versus good, uh, light versus right. dark. It become it become we we are found our foundation of the United States of America is predicated on that that win lose uh, mindset, and you see it in everything. You see it in business, see it in education, certainly see it in sports. But it, it really is it it's really um, laced through all aspects of our society. So being a peace builder and and is is counterintuitive and counter. Uh, to what corporate America actually, for the most part, operates in. But effective leadership, conscious leadership, in order for one to be conscious and aware, one needs to be able to understand my own belief systems, the own, my own biases, my own prejudices, my own what, what limits my, my ability to flex in the world around me. And in today's world, we need, as leaders, we need to be able to flex more and more simply because of the, the rapidly changing nature of the world that we live in. But we can't do that unless we actually address and, and understand the, what's burning inside of us. And that takes, right. that, takes, that takes work. It takes practice. It takes experience. It takes being able to step beyond your belief systems to open up the door to hearing a different point of view. Um, and yeah. that, that, that then allows for you as a leader to uh, viscerally and, and from a pragmatic point of view be able to operate on a different frequency. And I, you know, I write a lot about energy, right? So, 
you know, yeah. if, if I'm if I'm calm and the the in, the interior side of me, the 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 spiritual side of me, the the mental side of me is in a calm state, you're going to receive me differently. You know, whether oh, yeah. I'm in the corporate world or I'm not, you're just going to receive yeah. my energy differently. And when you receive uh, energy at a higher frequency, then that connection is even more uh, profound. And what I'm talking about is connecting at a different level. And in order to do that, you have to find peace from within. Peace with, yeah. with, and I work with my clients in terms of being able to identify the barriers, the limitations that the ego has in place that limits yeah. the way in which we operate in the world. So, yes, you know, it is counterintuitive to think that being a peace builder is part of, let's say, a corporate construct. But effective leadership, conscious leadership, really requires that we, we look on the interior side of us before we, we go on the exterior. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, that, that, we, that people have to agree with us. So whatever I think about myself, people are going to agree with it. So I think I belong in a place. If I really know that I belong somewhere, people just have mm-hmm. to agree with me. And if I feel like mm-hmm. I don't belong there, they're going to agree with that too. It's very hard for yeah. people to look past what I believe about myself. And you know, mm-hmm. someone who loves me and knows me well, and I'm feeling bad about myself at a moment, they can maybe look past it. I've certainly done that mm-hmm. with my clients and my people I love. Sure. But I think mm-hmm. that most of the people you meet that you don't know intimately, they're going to agree with whatever you think about yourself. And mm-hmm. they're going to deal with you based on, especially if it's unconscious. What do you think of that? Buy it or not? Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true, and, and that's mm-hmm. what I'm referring to in terms of the energetic flow that takes yeah, place. Yeah, that's what I was Look, thinking of. Yeah, you know, you know, Bill, we're the the human body is just the receptacle. It's the it's the encasement of yeah. the of the real part of who we are as a human entity, right? I mean, right. The truth is, whether you think this is woo woo or not, the truth is, we're basically energy and spirit. That's what we are, yeah. and yeah. and our thoughts and our th- and how we think of ourselves transports physically and viscerally into the energy that we put out. We put it out in our words. We put it out in our nonverbals. We put it out in our, uh, the tone of voice that we have. We put it out in, in many different ways. And the way in which that frequency is, is delivered is the way it's received. So I agree with you. I mean, it, you know, I think it was Henry Ford who said, uh, believe you can yeah. or believe you can't. Either way, you're right. That's right. right. So it's yeah, a choice. Yeah. Yeah. This is where choice comes in. You know, yeah. you know, choose choose the reality that you want others to, to, to be a part of, and they're more than likely to take that, depending upon where your energy is at. Yeah, yeah. That's where charisma comes in, right? And being being charismatic, mm-hmm. a lot of times, is being able to, to convey your passions in a way that people receive them. Yep. Yes. I, I think charisma. You know, it's funny. I thought that when I give a workshop, the most the most I want the people to walk away with is just feeling better. I mean, I want them to have tools, but often they maybe take mm-hmm. away one or two things that ta- really that they remember. But a lot, if mm-hmm. they walk away feeling better or having a, just feeling better than then when they walked in the workshop, mm-hmm. I, to some degree, I feel like I've done my job. If yeah. they, just, they just feel more, a little more optimistic about the writing experience. Mm-hmm. Than I, and that's mm-hmm. just tuning to a different frequency. Sort of. So listen, yeah. uh, you've written this book. It's about your life. But mm-hmm. writing is a, is a process of discovery, and even though you're a mm-hmm. teacher, I would be willing to bet that even in writing this thing, that, that you're writing about your own life, that you've lived and remembered and told stories about, and writing mm-hmm. about the teachings that you've taught, you still learned something. Did you learn something oh. writing this book that you didn't know before you wrote it? Oh, my God. First of all, let me say that the, this book was, was a, 
was an emotional roller coaster. Uh, oh, you know, when, good. When, when, yeah, when you go back into, a, you know, I'm in my sixth decade of walking on the planet here, so right. I've had a lot of, there's been a lot of transition, a lot of ups and downs in my life. And when you, when you sit down and you are attempting to convey this me- the messages to the reader, it's a very intimate, uh, very revealing, very vulnerable place to go to. Uh, and and for me it was you know there were moments during the writing of this book where I was just weeping, to be yeah. honest with you, uh, you yeah. know re- having to relive the some of the the real pain points of my life to actually illustrate to the reader. So um, if I learned anything, I learned that I am um, I am an emotional uh, and 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 highly spiritual uh, human being uh, that that is deeply affected by. Not only my own experiences, by, but by the experiences of those that, that I interact with, and you know what I've what I've learned is to accept that for what it is, and the beauty attached to your ability to connect with someone on that level. You know, it yeah. just it, there's a freedom attached to being able to write uh, a book like this, to be able to expose yourself in such a, a you know vulnerable way, because it's a very this book is exposes me deeply. Um, yeah. But but the freedom attached to being able to do that basically says I'm okay with myself. I'm okay with yeah. my the 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 faults that I have. I'm okay with my history and the and the pain that that I've endured, but the pain that I've also caused to, to folks in my life my my life. So so this is a it, it's a it's an expansion of uh, of myself in a in a in a really kind of a cool and a, um, a very encompassing way. Uh, yeah. and, and it was it was a learning experience to the max. Um, I'll bet. You know, writing writing the book was the easy part. Going through all the edits and as I'm sure you. Oh know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, you know, I've written about my own life for years now, and mm-hmm. one of the things I've come to learn about that is that the readers, I believe, are never reading about me when they read my stories, and they've always mm-hmm. got my name is all over it. Bill, sure. They're always uh-huh. reading about themselves. They're always mm-hmm. reading about themselves. Right. And so it's actually when I came to understand that, it gave me more freedom to write my stories because I thought they're not mm-hmm. ever really reading about me. They're always right. trying to say, how does his story affect my story? Mm-hmm. And so that mm-hmm. gave me some freedom to be even more open because in the end, I'm me and that guy on that page named Bill mm-hmm. is just some avatar of me. You yeah. know, I'm too big. Mm-hmm. to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And here's the other thing. One of the other reasons why I wrote this book the way I did, which is, you know, it's not a memoir, it's not an autobiographical book, right. but this, it's memoir-ish. You know, there's yep. tools and insights that I, I provided the reader. Um, you know, but one of the reasons that I wrote this book was to uh, to be able to flush out um, to be able to flush out the real me, to be able to uh, step into the to the me that 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 is is the teacher is the healer is the uh the person who is the is the coach is the is the person my, my i'm with you i mean if the reader gets in and it's a story and people love stories you know people yeah. really in, enjoy the storytelling and i Absolutely. and i thought to myself well why not tell this in a story form of my life my life's journeys you yeah. know it, it gives the readers some some uh, context and, yeah. and and i think context is so important when it comes to uh, a writer's ability to convey a story, but also to uh, to share their experiences, it has yep. to be contextual. And that con- that context is not my context; it's the reader's context. When you think about it, 
Absolutely. In the end, it is because they're always looking for something that they can understand it and they say, what would it be like if I was going through that? Exactly. Um, it's always their lives they're looking to affect. So if people, now you, so you're, you work, you have a job uh, as a I do. leadership coach, but you also work with people one-on-one. You got a book. So if people want to learn about you, where mm-hmm. should they go? Where should they go, well, Michael? Well, uh, they certainly can go to my Facebook page. Uh, I'm uh, on LinkedIn as well. And on my website is illuminateambitions.com. Okay. Illuminateambitions.com. Yep, yep. Okay. So if they want to work with you one-on-one, yes. come talk to them. And I do have business. a small... Yeah, and I do have private clients that I, I work with. I'm also a performance consultant as well, so I do organizational work too. All right, all right. So you got a lot of stuff. So check it out. Uh, illumination. Wait, say it again. Illumination. Say it again. No, illuminate ambitions. Oh, excuse me. Illuminateambitions.com. Illuminateambitions.com. That's what it is. Okay. That's, that's it. So all right. So here's my last question for you. I've asked you this before. I'm going to ask you it again because sometimes the answer mm-hmm. changes, Michael. Mm-hmm. The answer changes. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting thing. So the question. Writing, all your writing you've done, has taught you anything, mm-hmm. taught you what? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go with what I probably said last time. Well, the first thing is humility, uh, oh, you know. Yeah. And, and humility, and it's also taught me to appreciate the gift that, and I'll, I'll just be real candid here, the gift that uh, in divine wisdom, whatever you interpret that to be, sure. was given sure. to me as an opportunity to be able to channel and communicate uh, as a writer. I mean, what, yeah. a, what a blessing, what, a, what a, uh, a wonderful gift that I, I have for myself that I've been given uh, to be able to write. I take it very seriously. Uh, so there's right. humility and, and the, the ability that I have uh, to be able to think the way I do and to be able to communicate as I do. Um, you know, that's a blessing. And and so I've learned to really appreciate the blessings that I have and not, not just be chasing the gold ring all the time, but be able to step right. back and go, you know, I really am blessed to be able to have this as an ability. That is great. That's a great lesson, Michael. Listen, congratulations on the book. Thank you, Bill. And I'm sure there's more where that came from. There's more. Yeah. And uh, I'll look forward to, I'll look forward to uh, connecting with you on the next uh, uh, chat. We will chapter. be talking again. It sounds like it. All right, Michael. Good luck. Thank you, Bill. Happy holidays. All right. You too. Take it easy. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Yes, humility, people. Humility. Uh, you know, the gift thing, it's interesting. I always think of the writing I give. It's like I like to think of it as a gift. What can I give people? What can I give people? I want to give people something really great. But when I give it, I got to get it first. First, the story comes to me oh, like a gift. Oh, I go, oh, that's great. I love it. And then I can give it to other people. That's how it works. But you got to be humble. got to be humble if you want to let it in. I can't remember who I've got on next week. I, got, I think I'm doing one more week, and then, oh, yeah, it's the holidays, and I'm going to take a little break. But then I'll be back. I want to thank my producer, R.J. Jeffries. Thank you, R.J., and thank you, all of you out there listening. Go find something you love. Find something you really love. 